She is known from some of your favorite TV shows and movies. She's going to take us along on a vulnerable and revealing journey to self-worth through the book Worthy. And she is Jada Corinne Pickett-Smith. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit. This is Alexis. And this is Kari. And you're listening to Lit Society, a podcast about books and drama. Indeed. This week, again, we're going to push the theme of the week to after the deep dive. So let's jump into the author and context. Kari, I know this is a memoir, but is there anything you'd like to share about our author or the context before we move on to our next segment? Nope. Some okay. of y'all already complaining that you know too much. So why Ooh. would I waste my time to tell you more? Okay. <laughs> well, then let's hear about um, a brief synopsis without spoilers before we jump into our deep dive. Yeah. So when we talk about memoirs, it's hard to talk about spoiling it because as we always say, when we read it, we'll get something different from it than when you at home or wherever you are listening, when you read it. But this is a brief synopsis I can come with on the spot. Come on, on the spot. Yeah. Hailing from B-more, this is the woman you think you know. You've read the blogs, you've heard the stories, but now we're getting her life in her own words. That's Jada Pinkett Smith. Alexis. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> who do you think after reading Worthy, we read it this week. It just came out last week. After yeah. reading it, Alexis, who do you think would enjoy this memoir? Well, I think if, especially if you enjoy um, memoirs, you'd enjoy reading this book. And then also if you like introspective self-help books, I think you'd enjoy this book as well. But why did you choose this book? Um, there's a lot of vitriolic. Um, oh, should I go as far as to say hate against Jada? And I've I never so. understood it. I think so. I, I mean, at least I've seen it right now more recently or especially since her um, entanglement thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's. I started noticing it around the entanglement. And then after the infamous slap, I really was like, whoa, how, wait, how Jada get it? Now, how Jada get in it? And people like, but look at her eye. That eye is a crazy eye that moves people to do things. And I said, hmm, okay, well, no. Um, also, we read Will. So why not read Jada? Why not read Jada? How can, and in fact, I went back and listened to that episode a little bit. Not all of it, but some of, of it. Uh huh. And we talked about let's hear from Jada. So now we're hearing from Jada. We're ready for it. It's about time. Okay. So you ready to take the spoiler field? Oh, why don't we take a break before we jump into the deep dive? How about that? Sure. Sounds good. Let's take a break. Okay. And 
we're back, Kyrie. Are you ready to take our spoiler-fueled deep dive? Because you're going to tell all the secrets. <laughs> and to Worthy by Jada Pinkett Smith. I am. And this will be more of a discussion, if you don't mind. So I'll be asking you some things. And then also, feel free to chime in as you see fit. So, part one. The cliff. When we meet Jada, she's on top of a cliff. We don't know why. We know that she's scared. She feels vulnerable. She feels crazy. Three months after her 30th birthday, depression and unwelcome feelings made her reality unclear. And you'll notice this throughout the book when she hits a monumental birthday. Like many people, Jada begins questioning her, the value of her life. Um, so we meet her again at the, at the 30th birthday. Um, and then she does engage in therapy and she credits that therapy partially for getting her to her 40th birthday. But now she's facing her 40th birthday and she's like, now what? Um, so she would later be diagnosed. It would be diagnosed that she suffers from complex trauma with PTSD and disassociation. But before that guidepost, as she calls it, she felt every day was filled with doom. She was losing a grip on reality, on her children, on the idea that she should be loved. And I feel like so many people go through this Um and it's cliche, but especially around monumental birthdays, people start reflecting on their life and wondering, what was it all for? Did I use my life in the way that it was best? Uh, what could I have done differently? And people start second guessing themselves, guessing, uh, second guessing decisions that they can't go back and change anyway. Um, so she's feeling that, but to the extreme. And it's because of this, uh, partially because of this uh, complex trauma with PTSD and disassociation. On paper, though, Jada's life looks perfect, right? To a lot of mm -hmm. people. Her children, she says, are the best thing that ha ever happened to her. But she was speeding toward a brick wall. Adding to her distress, Will and her were in a bad place. Her and her husband hadn't been good for a while. Confiding in her friends about it seemed unfair. Um, and like unfair to their marriage and definitely unfair to Will. You know, you talking outside the house about what goes on in your house. Uh, she started having dark thoughts, thoughts about the details of self-harm, a way to make it look like an accident. OK, so that brings us to a trigger warning. This book is going to talk a lot about self-harm and unaliving oneself. Uh, so please protect yourself if that's not a topic you can handle. Um, perhaps don't listen to this episode. OK, let's continue. Um this is also, I want to say, why it's so important to let your friends vent to you about their life in a non-judgmental place. And it's hard if your friend come to you and say, I'm so sick of my husband. He did this, this and this. You know, you might say, yeah, what are we going to do to him? But don't do that. Just We're not going to do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Because they're going to go home and they're going to resolve their problems, perhaps. And then they both going to hate you. So instead of that, give your friend, make room for your friends to have a safe space. Okay. And hopefully, you know, they can talk about their issues within their marriage. But look at Jada. She felt like there was no one she could really talk to. And her husband, famous, famous. So even talking to a therapist, I imagine might, you might be apprehensive to divulge too much information. I even feel like throughout this book, spoiler, she's a bit guarded with Will. This is her story. She ain't trying to give you all of Will's business. OK, this is about her. She a ride or die. She going to keep your secret. Now, Jada got a vault. 
You can she be like, did. Jada, the body's in the back. She's going to be like, I don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and she's from Baltimore. So she's she from Baltimore. Okay. <laughs> they don't do that. Mm-hmm. So, again, so. now Jada, this is all going through in her mind, all through her mind when she's sitting on the edge of a literal cliff. How to make it look like an accident. Um, but what? If she ended up paralyzed or disfigured, what type of burden would she be on her children? Her children are always at the front of her mind. Um, Around this time, her friend's sons shared um, a story about a trip that their father took to Peru and experienced psychosis brought on by a psychoactive brew, which he called medicine. A medicine woman lived 15 minutes from Jada and she felt like she had nothing to lose. So I think this is what she's wondering will this really kill her, this visit, I think, in the beginning of the book. So um, this is a book about a woman's quest to find the power of unstoppable, indestructible love for herself. The key to her true empowerment, she says, and the acceptance of the journey that delivered her there. Part two, predators and pushers. Summer of 1985, a 13-year-old Jada again is in Baltimore growing up. Her mother is a single mom working the graveyard shift at the hospital. Um, Jada is out sneaking to see her 16-year-old boyfriend. He works at 7-Eleven. She taking a train. She walking. It's dangerous. All the things. But she think about that boy. Okay. And he, every time she get there, he'd be like, Jada, you so crazy. I can't believe you came here by yourself. And then they spend the whole night talking near the hot dog machine. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Jada, when did you sleep? Anyway, then right before dawn, it's time to go. And she's on her way home before her mom arrives from the hospital. So let's talk a little bit about her family. Where does she come from? Jada's grandfather was a doctor with a private practice and Jada was the firstborn grandchild. This is a big deal, you know, mm-hmm. in a black American family. They are uh, West Indian. I think her family's from Jamaica. I think both her grandparents on her mother's side are Jamaican. Um, and her grandmother was a Howard University graduate, licensed social worker. Um, days in their house was, were full of love, learning and order. Grandma's garden was both a school and a playground. Her grandma taught her how to clean from floor to ceiling. And the lesson she took from that is how you apply yourself in the small daily tasks is how you will apply yourself in the big tasks of life. Food is not meant to be enjoyed, she learned. It should be eaten because grandma could not cook. Now, who in the world heard of a West Indian grandma that can't cook? Jada. That's Jada, yeah, grandma. Jada did. Mm-hmm. That's Jada put her little spoon in the pot and be like, oh, that's nasty. And the grandma would say, food ain't meant to be enjoyed. It's for nourishment. Right. <laughs> hey, grandma. In that case, let's all eat multivitamins. Um, <laughs> don't buy Nesquik, her grandma would say, because they're pushing baby formula in parts of Africa uh, where mothers are giving this to their children and the babies are dying because clean water isn't readily available and the brand doesn't care. And in this moment, Jada learned the importance of activism in her life. Her mother was an atheist, her grandmother, too, I believe, um, who and they attended meetings of what was called an ethical society, learning about different religions um, at a modest home nearby. And this planted the seeds of interfaith in Jada throughout her life. She would always uh, pick and choose from different faiths like a smorgasbord. 
Now, her um, beautiful grandmother, however, had a childhood trauma of her own. She got pregnant at 13 during one of her visits to her family in Jamaica. And probably at this time, she figures her grandmother didn't even know what sex was. Um, And it also probably explains her career later as a social worker and sex education advocate. She was abandoned by her family, her grandmother. She was 13, pregnant. Her father basically kicked her out. She became a maid for a white family. Uh, She did grow, though, out of that to become, you know, an educated woman, a socialite and the wife of a doctor at a time when that was like very high society. Uh, She was living her own self-love and through the love of her family, like the family she created, both that child she had at 13 and her husband and there later um, as their family expanded. That's where she found her her ability to be grounded, her grandmother. Um, So the lesson from this for Jada is you are so much more than your trauma. I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, This book is a book about lessons, right? Is Jada trying to push her lessons onto you, you think? I didn't feel like that Mm -hmm. as I read the book along. Um, I think she was just sharing them and saying, um, you can try this out for size if you like. Mm-hmm. I think it's a book to her fans for sure. And so her fans probably support a lot of the things she de- she does. So they would naturally apply them or, you know, consider. Yeah, I feel like throughout the book, her tone is not this is what you should do. It's very much this is what I should do. And this is what helped me. Yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with you. Um, So let's talk about the child of two addicts, which is also what Jada is. Um, Adrian, Jada's mother, she calls her both Adrian and mommy, had her when she was 17 and eager to give her daughter the support she hadn't received. Her grandmother approached Rob, Jada's father, and gave him three choices. One, you can marry my daughter. Two, the baby will be aborted or three, the baby will be put up for adoption. And right away, he agreed to marry Adrian, a life saving decision, Jada now realizes, and the stand up thing to do for a man who had fathered this child. However, he was violent. Um, They filed for divorce soon after Jada was born. He was often under the influence of drugs and alcohol. He never harmed Jada physically, um, but he once even pushed her mother over a balcony. And this is where she would often spend time with her paternal grandparents. And they were different, right? Her grandfather who loved her to pieces and her grandmother who hid her pain, but remained steadfast for her family. Her grandmother was a drinker. Okay. Mm -hmm. Her grandmother was an alcoholic. She would just sit in a chair and drink, um, chain drink, I guess, if that's the word. And the father kind of just kept to himself like the dad in Pride and Prejudice, Mr. Mm. Bennett. Yeah, like Mr. Bennett. Mm -hmm. The signs of Jada's mother's addiction are, I'm sorry, of her paternal grandmother's addiction weren't as prevalent as those of her father and fraternal grandmother. Um, But her father was ahead of his time and many considered him weird, eccentric. If he lived long enough, Jada uh, reasons he would have appreciated his grown grandchildren as members of his lost tribe. Mm -hmm. Um, He wrote a poem, which I thought was really good, called Nobody Gets Out of Life Alive. Oh, yeah, that was a good poem. Nobody gets out of life alive. You can hold on to those world possessions those things you earn each day and know the reason you do your due. But know what folks will say. They'll say, 
nowhere was a good one and mean it from their hearts. No jive. But nobody, but nobody gets out of life alive. Now you can tell me what you think I mean. I know the score of the game. Make a million and go in bed. The end will be the same. But some of us will not listen. Others will say I lie. But nobody, nobody gets out of life alive. I'm an addict and a criminal, so I can't be your father. These Mm. were the words that came from Rob's mouth one day. And Jada wasn't hurt when she heard them. Um, In fact, she respected him for telling her child self the truth in a way that a lot of adults just refuse to. Um, It was a lesson for her in truth and in honesty. At the end of each chapter in her book, um, Jada shares the lessons that she's learned, a lesson she'd like us to learn. And at the end of this, she says, we must comfort ourselves with the fact that as children, we did the best we could with circumstances outside of our control. Reclaim and honor our vulnerability. Find the moment when you rejected the child within yourself and reclaim that child. Then her grandmother, her maternal grandmother, who she loved so dearly, who she saw as a mother, you know, it was like grandma and Adrian. (laughs) So her grandmother dies of cancer. Then her mother and Tony divorce and his new wife is harassing Jada. That's crazy. um, That's crazy. Yeah. And demanding that Tony stop speaking to Jada. Uh, This is I've heard of this before. Threatening her. Threatening her. She tells a little girl, find your real father. Stop calling here. Because there are people that I can get to stop you from calling here. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. So she's threatening Jada and Adrian. It's completely no out of line. Um, but this broke something within Jada. Her grief was oceanic, she says. She loved Tony as a father more than she loved her biological father. Her mother was unavailable, thrown in the throes of addiction and her grandmother had died. It was it was a lot. So Jada was the last of her friends to lose her virginity at the tender age of 14. Some girls in middle school, she says, were dating grown men. I remember this, too, actually. It was kind of wild. School? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, in high school, she excelled in theater, but her attendance was spotty. One day, a cl- her and a classmate ditched <laughs> school to visit New York City. Because an old yeah. castmate was cast in Hairspray and he had his own place and they wanted to see what life was going to be like when they eventually made it big. It was like inevitable. She was like, I'm going to be a star. That's Jada. That's yeah. little uh, 15 year old Jada. The actor they were visiting was Josh Charles. He He's like an actor. <laughs> look him up. Y'all know him, actually. Look him up. You looked him up. See, yeah, I, I know, know who he is. Yes, that's Josh <laughs> Charles. That's Jada Fran. Uh, they were friends since elementary school. Um, he's now known for like Dead Poet Society and The Good Wife. Her mother found out, though, about her little trip to New York and was furious. And one thing Jada don't do is play with Adrian because Adrian got that crazy strength. Y'all seen Jada Mama? <laughs> <laughs> that woman got muscles. OK, you ain't going to fight her. Strong. So Jada sheepishly returned back to Baltimore. Um, Soon 
later on in her life, but soon drugs swept through Baltimore, heroin, cocaine and crack. Everyone was selling or using. Some had lost jobs and used drugs to get back on their feet. It was like the neighborhood hustle. Oh, you ain't got work. Sell some drugs. You'll get you'll get some money until you can find another job. Her mother came to her job one day at a clothing store um, and a co-worker of Jada's who knew her mom went over to say hi and her mother started nodding off while standing up. And this filled Jada with a shame um, she never felt because usually she only saw the effects of drugs in the privacy of their home. But to see it in her job with her co-workers as a teen, it was a lot. So um Something was seriously wrong with her mother, she she began to realize. Her mother began dating a man who stole from them. And then after he apologized, Adrian let him back in the house. And this made Jada feel unprotected and violated in her own home. It was like, even my home isn't my home. But this incident justified why Jada began selling drugs. She wanted out. It didn't justify it. But, you know, in her teenage mind, she was like, well, let me get on the neighborhood come up and I can get out of this house. Sophomore theater department orientation at Baltimore School for the Arts. Jada was late on purpose because she wanted to make an entrance. Listen, Jada been fine her whole life and she knew it. <laughs> so she was like, mm, wait till I go to the orientation. looking good. <laughs> So she showed up late and she had a long rat tail that reached her behind and dudes, you know, was catching her eye. And then a new dude caught her eye and she caught his eye. He had brown skin, heavy eyebrows, and he comes over and shakes her hand. And what's his name, Alexis? Tupac Shakur. Tupac Shakur. Wow, that's a powerful name. And the power of his presence let her know he's something special. Um, She found out that he had been um, later found out that he had a promising rap career and serious acting chops. But what she didn't know till much later was that this young man and her would form a bond that would impact her life forever. Now, she is very clear. They were never romantic. They like tried to kiss once. It was gross. It was like kissing your sibling. Um, he filled a gap in her life left by an absentee father and he was a kindred spirit and a protector. He was a friend. Um, he called her square to remind mm-hmm. her that she wasn't as up on her game as she thought. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he was facing his own issues. He wore one sweater, two pants and a few shirts. Not, And I remember this too, like having friends in school. You'd be like, you just wore that yesterday or the day before. Why are y'all even talking about that? Why? Why? Why do you, you know it? Why do you have to ask them or talk about it? Sorry, that's rude, ain't it? It's I just very thought they was rude. lazy. <laughs> it never, yeah. it, probably in your youth, it would have never occurred to you that they just didn't have enough. This shouldn't yeah. have been a t- topic for discussion to embarrass them. Mm-hmm. Especially in school when what you wear is such um, a marker of where you belong in the hierarchy Absolutely. of high school. Absolutely. You know, to only have one sweater, two pants and a few shirts, that's really hard. And it makes your poverty impossible to hide. Mm -hmm. Um, Jada would try to buy him clothes with her drug money, take him to dinner without hurting his pride. You know, she'd be like, I was in the store and got me a whole bunch of stuff. And then I saw this little thing. I was like, I guess Tupac could get that. And and he'd be like, oh, cool. But if she was like, I got this for you, he'd be like, why are you getting me stuff? Don't give me nothing. You know, you a woman. Go go over there and mind your business. Um, 
But she didn't bring Tupac around her often when she was selling drugs, she says, because she didn't want to pull him into the dangers of that whole scene. Um, He slept on a filthy mattress in a room with a thick carpet that looked like it had never been vacuumed. Um, When he had a crush on a girl, he would send Jada to like, you know, see if she like, you know, what's up. And when Jada had a crush on a blonde boy named John Cold, uh, he was so blind, John Cold, that he was nearly transparent. She, she <laughs> says uh, she sent Tupac and then John and Tupac became best friends. So I don't know. People think Tupac was born in a gangster factory. However, <laughs> Tupac was like a real person. <laughs> okay. I was just saying this because I've seen some things online and they like, why is she spreading all these untruths about Tupac? What? What? Are you, what? So, yeah. Um, There's interviews with him where, you know, he's just a he's just a kid. He's an artist. Hey, y'all. He's hey, y'all. Artist listen. Kid, yeah. Mm-hmm, you sure. know who you think MC Hammer was? <laughs> that was Tupac. <laughs> and whatever you think you know about Tupac, you get him confused with MC Hammer. It's shocking. I MC Hammer. <laughs> the story. the real gangsters. Okay. So, yeah, Tupac was an artist. Stop. So, he had a friend named John Cole who was very, very blind. And it would be like Jada. John and Tupac all the time. John would spend hours driving around with Jada and Pac. Just picture this like Tupac Shakur, Jada, and a blonde boy named John Cole, who was himself a tortured artist. And there were just three artists forming a little motley crew. Um, They would even spend time at Pac's house. This John Cole, who was wealthy, had no problem spending time with his best friend on this dirty mattress in a thick carpeted room that ain't never been vacuumed. And that just shows the eclectic nature of their friendship group. It didn't matter that John was white and from one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Baltimore. When home became too dangerous for Tupac... And Tupac actually faced homelessness in a very serious way. Jada's mom let him stay for one night in their place because Jada was like, ain't no boy going to be staying up in here when I got a girl. Like, come on. No. And John Cole, without hesitation, took him in. John Cole's parents loved both Jada and Tupac. And their home was like a safe space for those kids. Um There's even like photos of John Cole hanging out with Tupac's like nephew and niece. Um, Just a little tangent on John. Um, He would come out when when Tupac moved to California, he would come out and spend time with him, especially when he was acting. But when Tupac started being more gangster, uh, John Cole found that too predictable and their friendship, it sounds like, kind of died off. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about an incident where Jada is followed in a store. Um, she notices a saleswoman following her. She turns around, throws some expletives at her and is like, why are you following me? And John Cole rushes to her side, is like, what's going on, Jada? And Jada's like, that woman's following me. How come she's not following you? You know why? And instead of making excuses, John says, I'm so sorry that happened to you. But this incident made Jada realize that she don't really know about dating white men because they'll never understand her plight or the ability to get it no matter how hard he tried. Um, And it's hard enough, she thought, to be understood by black man. But at least they have a jumping off point because they, too, face similar things that I'm facing. So John could see beyond these things, Jada says. But at the time, Jada could not. 
Um, one day following Jada nearly cost him his life and Jada yeah. ended their relationship. Like he was nearly about to get jumped. He was like coming to her home. <laughs> you know, he was really blind, transparent, and he stuck out. <laughs> he was a target and he was just like, we're all one human family. Everyone calm down. Mm. And he was like, yeah, that sounds good. We're going <laughs> to rob you now. <laughs> so like, get in this car. We, we want to know where such and such is. We take mm-hmm. us. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll drive. Hop in. So even though they ended their romantic relationship, they remain friends. And Jada goes into detail about all her friendships. However, Tupac is the friend that many people feel they they share with Jada. Like Tupac belongs to a lot of people in their mind and heart. And so I think he sticks out most to people, especially in interviews. They ask about him a lot. And he's one of her dearest and longest lasting friends. Um, So he may seem to come up a lot. But in the book, it's not all Tupac, Tupac, Tupac. It's real relatable. This is a childhood friend and really close best friend. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about, John Cole. There are also some other friends she talks about a lot, but people don't seem to care about that. They like, why is she talking about Tupac so much? But we ain't going to give that haters <laughs> uh, a voice on this show. <laughs> she also had a female friend crew. Um, they didn't really form a crew. She would hang out with them individually. They didn't mix. <laughs> but when it came to her, they were like sisters. Okay, so back to Jada's life. She earned $6,000 playing a runaway slave on a show called The Freedom Station, a 30-minute PBS special. Um, she paid cash for a Nissan Sentra. That was a lot of money at the time, okay? This was good because she wanted a car without raising suspicion as to how she was making her money. Jada is very much still selling drugs at this time. Now, she was deep into selling drugs and felt like Robin Hood, paying for strangers' groceries, um, spoiling her friends. Not once did she imagine she was actually contributing to the pain around her, not alleviating it, which she does. And she says this is nothing to be proud of. So the way she describes selling drugs, I think, too, is very realistic. She was a young girl with one goal, get out of her house. Mm -hmm. Um, And she was contributing to the pain around her in her own community and didn't realize it. One day, her mom and mom's boyfriend offered to take her to King's Dominion. This is like uh, Six Flags, kind of like Great America. And she brought along Tupac. They both saw a booth with a green screen where guests could make their own music videos. Have you ever done this, Alexis? Yeah, yeah, I've done those. Those are fun. Super fun, (laughs) especially at the time when music videos is like really something we actually watched. (laughs) I don't know about now, but now we probably just would do karaoke. But to make your own music video with the green screen, this is huge. Jada was not going to let the opportunity pass by. She loved to perform. But Pac was skeptical skeptical because none of the artists available on the the list were like real. They weren't even black. And Jada was like, (laughs) I found one. Parents just don't understand (laughs) by the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. And of course, they heard this song, but they don't. They wouldn't really listen to this. And these were the only rappers on the list, by the way, which also shows the mainstream and very white acceptance of the Fresh Prince and Jazzy Jeff. Um, So neither of them knew the song, but they were willing to fake it. Never in a million years did Jada think she was rapping the first rap song that would win a Grammy performed by a man that would one day be her husband. (laughs) (laughs) 
And you didn't this, do that well at it. <laughs> what a coincidence. <laughs> this she was said that is not her strong suit. Rapping is not it. Don't yeah, ask she ain't her no to rapper. do it. Okay, she can sing a note or two, but she ain't no rapper. She admits that. So it was just for fun. Okay, yeah, for giggles. Totally mm-hmm. for fun. And this is the last tangible memory of her and Pac just being kids together. One day she found a note in her locker. Pac had moved to California. It seemed abrupt and Jada was worried. Like, are you running from something? What's going on? Um, Then Juilliard rejected Jada and it was her first rejection from an audition. She was like, they must not know me. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) She was getting them all. So she knew she was going to be in at the Juilliard. She took this as a sign. Okay, it's time to sell more drugs. (laughs) Sometimes it's the small nudges by others, she says, that make all the difference in life, especially as a kid. You're right, Jada. Um, Donald Hagan had, without asking, submitted an application for Jada to attend North Carolina School of the Arts audition, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. Jada could act, dance and sing. She was a triple threat. And what Donald was she going to do? Waste her life? And Donald Higgin was a teacher, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Jada was intent on wasting her life. One day she got sloppy, showed up in the slum where she was selling drugs, covered in jewelry with cash in her pocket. She only intended to be there for 15 minutes, she said. Men bust in with guns, robbed her, took her drugs, cash and jewelry. Jada urinated on herself from fear. One she called C was the last to leave and looked like he wanted to harm her, maybe kill her, maybe assault her. But he left. She called her protection, who was like... Like another gangster in the neighborhood, a bigger, like grown man that looked after her and arranged for a meeting to retrieve the last bit of jewelry the men had stolen and not sold. <laughs> so why didn't you kill me? She asked C. Um, because you were too pretty, he responded. A few weeks later, he was in prison for murder of another drug dealer serving a life sentence. So he was a killer. But he chose in that moment just a random choice to not kill Jada. She would be facing the end of a gun a few weeks later again before watching her friend and protector get pistol whipped. Jada realized she was running out of time. Her mother found out about Jada selling drugs and getting robbed at gunpoint. Like someone was like, oh, yeah, I heard your daughter, you know, the neighborhood queen pin. I heard she got (laughs) robbed. And Adrian was like, all them words you saying? None of them make sense together. What are you talking about? My daughter don't not be in Cherry Hill. She never Mm -mm. goes there. She would never be there. Do you know who my daughter is? No. Go Mm -hmm. tell that story to somebody else. So once Adrian found out that it was indeed true, she forced Jada to attend the University of North Carolina School of the Arts, who had sent her an acceptance letter at this time. So her housing and food was paid for and Tupac would occasionally send her money. It was like the tables had turned. He, she used to buy him clothes because he had no cash. And now he was sending her money because he was on the come up. Um By the end of freshman year, though, she told her mom, you know, it really doesn't make sense for me to finish school to be an actress. So you have two choices. Either I'll go to law school or Los Angeles. And her mom said, Hollywood, it is. Mm. Part three, lights, action. Early summer of 1990, Jada arrives to Hollywood with her rough edges, protective attitude, unique style and commitment to hard work. She was also hairy. Now, (laughs) certain communities love hair on women. This is a fact. I remember Monique was on The View and was like, black women don't shave their legs. And everybody was like, what? (laughs) And this is so interesting to me because... um, 
yeah, there are definitely uh, communities where, yeah, it's seen as like um, attractive to have as to be as natural as possible. That's the thing. Yeah. Um, so that includes shaving. not shaving your legs. I didn't grow up <laughs> shaving my legs. And my oh, cousin see? had hairy legs. And I was like, oh, this, I want her, more hair on my legs. Because then you're an adult woman. <laughs> no, we were yes. just kids. It's not adult woman. No, that's why you want it. Because it's seen as more adult grown. I you know what I mean? think of it that way. Yeah, you're right. Because some kids got hairy legs. You're right. You just, you just got hairy <laughs> I can legs. think about three little girls I know. And they got hairier legs <laughs> than a lot of men. So... You know, it ain't just in France. Mm-mm. Anyway, back to Jada's life. She was poised, but she wasn't this Hollywood white version of poise, right? So um, she seemed abrasive and aloof to a lot of people. People were wondering, is she mixed? Oh, she's West Indian. So her mom's Native American. Like this was the type of ignorance she faced regularly. Uh, there was a group of black actresses that would see each other regularly at auditions. And the friendships they formed in these moments when they were on the come up would last them their entire careers and lives. Um, a few of these actresses are who? Uh, Nia Long, Paula mm-hmm. Jai Parker, Elise yes. Neal, Halle Berry. It was Regina King, um, Tamala Jones, Tashina Arno, Melinda Williams, uh, Monica Calhoun, Nicole Ari Parker, Layla Rashan, and Queen Latifah. And she says so many more. Wow. I love that. Um, and they weren't... Um they were competitive for the roles, but they weren't competitive um, for each other's like worth and value. Right. They supported each other. Um, so that was lovely. They shared connections, friends, they hung out. So um, one friend was dating and would later marry Keenan Ivory Waynes. Um, Keenan stopped Jada from committing perjury and possibly going to jail uh, for a gangster that she had formed a friendship with that was her protector back home. Uh, she was going to testify in his behalf, uh, lying lie. within her testimony. Her. And Keenan heard, overheard her and said, no, you're actually not going to do that. Do you, do you know what that that's perjury, little girl? No. Um, at one of Keenan's parties, Jada met a comedian that gave her great advice That comedian was Eddie Murphy. Uh, Once he saw that she was making her own way, he offered her a grand opportunity later in her career. And that's, I'm definitely guessing, Nutty Professor. Mm. She got a role on Blossom, but turned it down. And a few weeks later, she got the role of a lifetime on a different world as a student who contracted HIV. Um, She... Then met her biggest inspiration. So she did get this role in, on a different world. She met Debbie Allen, who she loved, like even as a kid. So to be face to face with Debbie Allen, all her enthusiastic fangirling came pouring out of her. And instead of being repulsed, Debbie Allen said, <laughs> no, you're n- I'm not giving you this role. OK, I'm actually going to write a character for you, Jada, based on your life. And then she started making money and living good as a regular on a different world. Very cool. But just so you know, she did not get that other role. This role <laughs> was created just for her. 
Sex was addictive and an abundance of lust and freedom confused Jada about what she really wanted, she says. This phase was short-lived. Her and Pac would argue often about gender roles and respect, but what they were really arguing about, Jada says, is their need, desire, and right to be loved. They were trying to feel worthy. Jada explained this point of view on a panel on BET that a lot of people have seen. Um, she was invited to discuss current events with a group that included Easy e someone oh, yeah. she never met. Mm-hmm. She met. She loved NWA, but found the way that they addressed women to be offensive. Eric, when I hear your music, I want to feel good about my people. I want to feel good about myself. They kept the dialogue going after the camera stopped and her and Easy e would become friends. Um, success, success, though, wasn't fixing Jada's life. Pac felt the same. He wasn't fixed by success. It seemed the only thing he needed to be right. And he didn't feel right. Despite coming off of the film Juice and preparing for his first solo album, Pac felt that same emptiness that Jada felt. And Pac asked her to um, be in his Brenda's Got a Baby video. You remember we watched that video <laughs> last yeah, season? Yeah. And Jada's in there. Um, she asked Pac to be on a different world and he made a guest appearance on a different world. Then Pac came to her with a movie for which he thought her perfect, Menace to Society. Debbie fought for her to do the movie simultaneously while shooting a different world. But then Pac got in a disagreement with the movie's creators and was removed from the movie. And Jada was like, well, I don't feel right doing it. And uh, he was like, no, you still got to do it. Menace was um, later than at Cannes Festival, a big deal for an actress from Baltimore and a big deal for a movie. Mm hmm. Will later asked her to play his girlfriend on The Fresh Prince. She turned him down. She wanted to be a film star, not on television, not on a small screen. Then Jason's Lyric, a big movie for Jada. Then a huge party was thrown for her by a friend, something no one had ever done for her before. And Pac was there. Even Will was there. But with great highs comes great lows, she says. On an uneventful day, she uh, greets a friend and then realizes she's not speaking and her body is hot and shaking. She bursts into tears, confused. She races home, calls her mom like, you need to get here. Come right away or I'll kill myself. Mm-hmm. Her mom right away makes arrangements to travel from the East Coast. or I'm sorry. Yeah. From the East Coast to Jada in um, California. MC Light, who is her close friend, came right away and was an anchor until her mom arrived. Her mother suggested therapy, but Jada wasn't ready. She called Debbie Allen and Debbie arranged for a therapy session. A psychiatrist diagnosed her and prescribed medicine. Um, uh, An assistant and the medicine assisted her to get over her clinical depression. Um, While healing, Jada bought a farmhouse outside of Baltimore. She was going to focus on herself, on what she needed. It required a lot of renovation, but she was ready to move back home, no longer in the Hollywood scene. The lesson here is that you are worthy of the help you may need. Jada was still living on the West Coast while managing the renovations of their East Coast home. No one really suspected a thing, but a good friend, Wayne Martin, accused her of becoming a hermit. He was like, you'll never go out. What's up with that? One day he called her and was like, me and my girlfriend are down the street. Come out. His girlfriend, of course, was Tisha Campbell, Gina from Martin. Um, the three soon joined were joined by Will's or by Dwayne's good friend, Will Smith. Will was nothing like she expected. He was a master conversationalist, well read, not goofy. And he was funny and stable, like genuinely funny, not that goofy type of funny. He was he like made her think, she said. So a few weeks later, she got a call. It was her new friend, Will Smith. And her mother was with her. She was like, who on the phone? 
And she's like, Will. She's like, Will? Will Smith? Isn't he married? That's what Adrian, her mom, said. And Jada's like, we're just friends. And Jada's mom said, hang up and tell him not to call you again. <laughs> My mother says you shouldn't call me anymore. <laughs> she said. That was so funny to me. <laughs> she was an adult at this point. She, yeah, she was grown, mm-hmm. but her mama was right. Her mama and was Will like, understood. He knew he had no business calling her. Don't do it. A whole don't grown married it. man. Mm-hmm. Almost a year went by before she would hear from Will Mm -hmm. Smith again. Jada began exploring other creative focuses, including directing music videos. This led to um, no other than Prince calling her himself. She gushed about her lifelong love of him when they met. He was horrified, (laughs) which made her love him more. (laughs) And they developed a friendship. Yes, Jada and Prince was friends. Y'all mad about that, too? Then she received news that Pac had been shot five times. Mm. She rushed to his side. The big problem was, although he lived, he was doing court the next day for a sexual assault case. This was his wake up call, Jada thought. She was like, wow, Pac, your life is out of control. This is when you're going to actually change and become who you're supposed to be. It turns out that the armed robbery was a hit job. Um, Jasmine Guy, who was on a different world, was also close friends with both Jada and Tupac. And Guy allowed Tupac to secretly convalesce at her home. Um, There's this uh, character Lance in Jada's life. Um, He had a temper. (sighs) I don't know if I want to get into Lance. I wonder why they don't. No one's talking about who Lance is, trying to guess who Lance is. Have you seen anything like that around? No, I haven't. Who is Jada dating that would have been abusive to her? Because he's still in the Hollywood scene, it yeah, sounds like. Yeah. And after she escaped his home, she never saw him again alone. Right. But she does see him. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't know. But she chooses to call him Lance. That's not his real name. Right. Um, Pac was convicted and sent to Rikers. He wasn't himself when she saw him there. His hair was coming out in patches. He had alopecia. He was frail. Um, Make sure my mother is straight, he asked Jada. He had surrendered to his fate. He sent her a letter asking, although they'd never been romantic, can we get married? She was the only person who truly loved him, he said, and was there for him. He even called her uh, mom for permission to marry her. And this was a tough decision, but Jada knew Pac was only looking for someone to support him while he was in prison and not for a lifetime of marital bliss. Once he got out, he would have divorced her. So, (laughs) And they had never been together romantically. He just wanted a friend that he knew couldn't leave him. But she said he he, he expected her to give some conjugal visits yeah. <laughs> she was like, oh no. Oh, Mm-mm. not gonna happen. Mm-mm. Not gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. And I've seen um so a TikTok video that was like, Jada's lying because he was only in Rikers for two months and he had already began dating another girl and they got married a few months. And to them people, I say, you must not know nobody that's been in jail. Don't judge people that's in jail till you've been in jail. People start looking at their life differently. They might propose they to a few people. Who's going who's gonna catch? Okay. Who's gonna catch this? This all sound realistic to me. So on the day of Pac sentencing, news broke that Will was divorcing. And before the week was done, she received a call from Will Smith. Hey Jada, what you doing? You seeing somebody? She said, No. Good. You're seeing me now. Hit me up when you get back in LA. All right. <laughs> 
Oh, Jada. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they began dating just from that phone call. They toured North America in love. He broke rules and did so with a smile, something Jada found gangster. Um, the world was Will's oyster and he gave the people he loved all the pearls at his disposal. They were each running away, though, him from the dissolution of his marriage, his first marriage and what that meant. And then her from her diagnosis as she stopped taking Prozac when they got serious. She was like, Will is my Prozac. <laughs> she was making Will her Prozac. Um, Cherie, Will's ex-wife, was the one to file for divorce. Um, and later, after Will started seeing Jada, he and Cherie tried to reconcile when Jada was informed she says hot tears spilled down her face but she wanted to do what was right by Trey their child and allow him to have the father relationship that she never had in her life so clearly the reconciliation did not last but the relationship fed into the Will's relationship with Sharif fed into Jada's insecurities especially in the beginning um, now, I think as we conclude, we should break down how Jada describes the most important relationships in her life um, before breaking down the relationship we know listeners care about the most, her and Will's and their marriage, because y'all knows. <laughs> so let's go to Tupac and put a bow on Tupac. OK, OK. So he was in Rikers and then who got him out of Rikers? Do you remember Alexis? Uh, that big guy. I can't think of his That's name. That's right. Suge Knight. Yes. Suge Knight was like, if you agree to three albums, I'll get you out of jail. Okay. Jada was very fearful because at this time everyone knew Suge was bad news, um, but she wasn't the one in prison. So she understood Tupac's desperation. He wrote Dear Mama and sent it to her. And she was like, this describes our mothers perfectly. And even though he wrote it primarily for his mother, it was about her mother, too, and all the mothers in their community at that time who were both drug addicts and loving mothers or as loving as they could be while under the influence of drugs. Um, Tupac then turned more gangster and she hardly recognized. Them. He fed the West Coast, East Coast rat beef. Um, Easy E called before the California Love video shoot, which that was Jada's concept, that Mad Max um, concept that they later went with. And Easy E told her, hey, don't work with Suge Knight because I know you're about to do that video. Don't. Also, um, Dre, we don't really get along. <laughs> and so, again, Jade is all about loyalty. So she agreed and she backed out of the video. Um, she's she um, also noticed that Pac was straddling acting with rap. And we'll see at this time a lot of movies he uh, either auditioned for or uh, acted in. Him and Jada fell out for a year after a really um, angry conversation which is typical amongst friends without boundaries. So they didn't really fight fair and they would just get out all their aggression about everything that was in their life in their arguments. And this fight was really bad. They didn't talk for a year. Jada gets a call from Pac's mom while she's on the set of a movie. And um, she's told that Tupac's been shot again, but he's been shot before. And the mom makes it seem like, you know, he'll be fine, which, you know, is probably wishful thinking. But six days later, he was dead. During this time, Jada says she didn't rush to his side because she was given the impression that he was healing and would be okay. How painful must that be for her? Suge's overseeing the cremation also didn't sit well with her. 
She says Pac rapped about being buried in a casket. So why would he want to be cremated? I mean, Pac, Pac rapped a lot about his ashes too, but I get that. Like she was his friend. She she didn't get the vibe that he wanted to be cremated. Um, and then when she showed up at Tupac's mo- uh, mom's house, Suge Knight was there and handed her a box with some of his ashes, like a cardboard box. And he had like this smirk on his face. Um, some of us have heard that Pac's body was smoked by some of his friends. And of course, ashes can be divided amongst family members and friends. So question, Alexis, do you think Jada is lying about her closeness with the late rapper Tupac? And if so, why? So I wouldn't like to say that she's lying. I mean, why why would I say that? This is her story. If she was close with the man, she was close with the man and she went to school with him. It's why would listen they made that video of the um in the booth the parents just don't understand they close Mm -hmm. okay they close if you did that you close do you feel like she talks too much about him and their friendship i think people ask he's been dead for years (laughs) i think people ask about him and she talks about him and then there there have been occasions where she just uh i think she's posted or something about him but I don't think anything of it. That's her, her life, her business. How about you? You feel like she does overdo it? I think that uh, friendships formed, especially when we're children and I'm including high school because that's when they Mm -hmm. met are strong, are very strong, partly because those people are part of who we become as adults. Mm -hmm. They evolve with us. They teach us, they shape us, especially when that friendship is a platonic one. You feel like this is extra special because we could be boyfriend and girlfriend, but instead we like brother and sister. It feels like a gift, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So it seems it's like an extraordinary jewel. And I think that's how Jada felt about her, her friendship with Pac. So many women wanted him and she felt like a lot of men wanted her, but for each other, they were, they were, siblings they were um they were family they had a bond that was familial um and it was a wonderful thing so consider too that they remained friends traveling across the country Mm -hmm. together Mm -hmm. worked in the same industry consulted with each other Mm -hmm. loved and fought hard a year after one of their worst fights he was killed so it's like you never got that closure. Yeah. And then Jada put all that grief in a box and put it on the top shelf to never be seen again because she didn't know how to cope with grief. Right. So to me, for people to say, get over it already. That is cruel on a level that I do not understand. Um, and my suggestion is if you sick of hearing about Jada and Tupac, you know, log, uh, off. log off, go outside, touch some grass. <laughs> I don't know. They ain't out there, is they? So they're not in your neighborhood. Right. Yeah. So uh, now let's talk about Cherie and Trey, her bonus sister and bonus son. Can you tell us a little bit about Jada's relationship specifically to Will Smith's ex-wife? Well, (laughs) there was a Red red Table Talk about that one, too. (laughs) Oh, you watched? Red Table Talk, don't you? Yes, I used to watch it pretty regularly. Okay, yes, at one you point, got the, you got the news. You got the. News. I do not. I don't be remembering stuff. But anyway, what it um it was initially contentious because you know they were like just getting divorced and she came into the relationship and and so then there was the struggle with let's get back together and then she had a problem with that and like you said she thought it through and it's like well I don't want to take from him what I didn't have let that 
try to work tray, it out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, there were times when she would try to insist on how Trey should be handled and uh, disciplined, disciplined, and, Sh- and say, instead of saying she say Jada, so it's clear Jada was trying to have input in how the child that Sharice shared with Sheree, Will should be I disciplined. Say her name. Yeah, Jada was trying to have input on how Sharice's child Trey, uh, also Will's child Trey, should be raised and. Um, that was just not something she should have been doing. So Sheree would stand her ground on that and Will would co-sign, which I think is good. And so that went on until they decided they needed to come. Well, Jada learned that she needed to come to peace, have a come to Jesus moment, if you will, (laughs) with her so that they could um, have peace and be a real family. So Trey doesn't feel like an outsider and they could all be family together. Yeah, I think you summed that up well, because Jada really took Trey into her heart and made him her son, too. Um, she's she, she says she's learned a lot from his um, from who he is, his brilliance, from his generosity. He's not tied to material things. <laughs> um, there was a point where Trey gave all his shoes to his friend. His friend was like, wow, you got some cool shoes. And Trey was like, yeah, you can have them. <laughs> and then Jada was like, Trey, you giving your friend all your shoes? Tr- Jada grew up in poverty in Baltimore. And to have a closet full of J's, you giving them to your friend and your friend in the background really bagging them up too. Like, yeah, happy, bagging them ooh, up. they got boxes and tags. <laughs> She's like, yes. wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's going on here? And was like, Trey, are you sure you know what you do? Because he a kid. And Trey was like, yeah, I got shoes on my feet. I'm good. I'll wear these. <laughs> and so now when she buys things for him, she says, this is mine, but we going to keep it in your closet. <laughs> Just so he don't give it away. If it's something she doesn't want giving away. But she learned, she thought that was actually a beautiful moment. And I agree, kind of. You ain't going to be giving away the shoes I bought you. Parents don't but like I that. But I did give them to you. Parents don't like What'd that. You say? Parents don't like that. When you giving your, they don't. So I used to have a friend that would let me wear her clothes to school. And I, my mom did not like that. <laughs> now, I don't think her mom cared or her mom never knew, but I would go over there and wear her clothes and then we'd go to school. <laughs> mm-hmm. They don't like that. I don't know what's wrong with that. I think it's, it's a challenge clothes? to their to their role as a provider in your life. Mm. Um, but Jada's sure. working this environment where her and Will have everything financially. So all those concerns and cares that someone from a middle class or lower class family would have, she's learning that she doesn't need them, but it's hard to let them go. I was going to ask you uh, when Will cited 100% with Cherie about the disciplining of Trey, how you felt, but you've already addressed yes, that. Yes, I co-signed 100%. <laughs> that ain't none of your business. You, it's not that child's parent. You do not get to say so. Mind your business. Okay, we got it. So let's talk a little bit about Jaden and Willow. (laughs) Jaden is the first child that um, Jada and Will had together. Um, Each have a unique birth story that I'll let you guys discover. And Jada's really proud of who they become. Um, Each was homeschooled. Willow did go to public school for like a year and she values the experience. But most of them are, um, most of all, they're they're both self directed Mm -hmm. uh they both involve in self-directed education um 
Jaden uh, eventually found his own path, she says, feeling the rain with Jada's permission. So I think he was like 15 or 16 and he was like, I can't live here no more. In order to be the best me I can be, I got to move out. <laughs> and Jada is very like um, woo woo. And she was like, well, you got to feel the rain and find your pain and follow your path. We've been protecting you your whole life. Yeah, he like 15. We've been protecting you your whole life. So it's time for you to, you know, follow your path. And she let him move out the house. Mm -hmm. Uh, Also with her daughter, remember Willow made with my hair, which is still a bop. Um, And then later in life, Willow became an advocate for um, sex trafficking causes along with her mother. Um, So that's talked about. Now let's talk about Tom Cruise and Scientology. Mm. So she describes Tom as a friend, right? Right. That helped her push past her boundaries. And um, from what I hear from people who really enjoy his uh, company, Tom is very much in real life, like the person he tries to be like Ethan Hunt, like a Mission Impossible character where he will help you to, (laughs) you know, uh, complete the impossible mission. (laughs) So they were riding motorcycles. She fell off, bumped her head. And he was like, you okay and she was like yes he was like okay let's stop for now and she's like if I stop now I'll never get on a bike again he looked at her and his hair was blowing in the wind and he smirked and he said you're right Jada and so they got on motorcycles again <laughs> so they're friends okay that's the most that you're getting from that um, she describes Scientology as one would a windy salad bar from the 90s <laughs> she may pick elements here and there from the spread but she's not taking home the whole thing uh, she does not believe in organized religion of any sort her and Will formed a school though that incorporated Scientology's teachings she put her dad in a Scientology program to help him with addiction um, she does pull a lot from Scientology in her own uh, personal belief system. Then her dad. One day her dad said, I want to be back in your life. This does not at all seem motivated by money. He was just wanted to be clean and a real father. But remember, he had that conversation with her where he said he couldn't be her dad. She took that to heart, even though she was a kid. And she was like, why should you be in my life now? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really hard for her to get over. But she did try to help him um, get clean. He did eventually die from drugs, but they did form a relationship. And he stayed on their compound for some time. Also, her family's compound on the West Coast uh, before he just wouldn't stop using and she felt like and this is real like you feel responsible for your parents and your close loved ones but when someone is under the influence of drugs and that's their that is the god that they must um devote themselves to ain't nothing you can do Mm -hmm. so she's come to terms with that um now let's talk about will your nosies (laughs) (laughs) listen From the beginning, theirs was a courtship of grand gestures and unspoken troubles. So both were looking for a savior, she says. Jada looking for a father-like protector. Will looking to replace his failed marriage with a successful one. Um, They eventually got married when Jada got pregnant with Jaden. Why she loves Will. He's humorous. He has the ability to unite people. He's focused. He's confident. What she doesn't love, he was not the protector she imagined. She admits that uh, there were things she expected from Will unfairly and ways that she thought he react when he did it. There was a time when she broke her foot. He looked at it and he was like, oh, you be all right. 
she went to the do- a friend took her to the doctor. The doctor was like, "This is all in shambles. <laughs> you need a cast." And she was like, "Why didn't Will, and, you know, that, take me to the doctor?" And yeah, that comes from their know? broken upbringing. Mm-hmm. And I understand mm-hmm. this. Like as a married person, you expect things from your mate. Like if you really loved me, you would have looked at my foot and just, you know, been a puddle of empathy and took me to what the best healthcare facility. But she wasn't crying. She, yeah, she tough. Yeah. And you know what? And I, what I liked about when she talked about that is that she didn't really place blame on him. She, what she did was acknowledge that they're both from this broken place where they're like, oh if you're not crying that's how they were raised if you're not crying then you yeah. fine go sit down tomorrow's a mm-hmm. new day and you'll be able mm-hmm. to walk again walk it off oh your foot broken well you know hop it off so it took and then somebody <laughs> else from outside of that experiences that they had in their mm-hmm. youth to say uh that's dangerous you need help with that foot mm-hmm yeah. And then there was a moment when an exterminator came into her home. She told him they no longer need his services. He became Ooh. belligerent and kind of walked up on her. And Will was on set somewhere. She was home alone with her son and she grabbed like a glass container and told him to get out of her house and call Will. And Will was like in the middle of something. He was like, OK. And she was like, he, in that moment, he really should have known that I needed his support mm-hmm. and protection because a man just walked up in my house, a man that I thought I was cool with. You know, talking to me partially, probably because we the only black people in this neighborhood talking to me crazy and walking up on me. And Will's like, I got to go. You good? All right. Bye. So she don't love that because that ain't her love language. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So still, she's loved being his partner and recognizes that she had unaddressed issues around security and well-being before she even met him. Um, there was a time when they all went to an amusement park and crowds of people were rushing up on them and she cussed them out and was like, back up off of us. And Will was shocked. Like, why are you yelling at my fans? <laughs> but in that moment, she felt threatened. These are strangers. And she had her children with her. Um, and then there's the flip side of that because Will hates the paparazzi, but Jada's always been like, all right, I need y'all to back up and I'll give you five pictures over there. And they're like, okay, Jada. So she she can command control of a situation like that. She feels like that's more controlled. But these random strangers running up on them and their children, she just could never get with. And that just shows the differences between her and Will. Jada started searching for quiet, calm time with her family while simultaneously Will was becoming the world's biggest movie star. Um, So one example is New Year's 1999. Will is slotted to host America's (laughs) New Year's party in Washington, D.C. And the whole family is invited to spend a night in the White House. And Jada's like, why in the world would I want to do that? (laughs) (laughs) And Will's like, we're going to be sleeping with the Emancipation Proclamation. And she, Jada's like, Mm-mm. our son is 15 months old. He ain't even going to remember this. Um, Not interested. But she did it to appease her husband. <laughs> um, people started wanting a piece of Jada just to get to Will. She would present these movies. One time she had a, a meeting with Harvey Weinstein and he was like, well, I'll take on your film if Will Smith is the executive director. And she was like, nah, I'm good. Because Denzel had already agreed to be in the movie. What more do you need? Why are you using me to get to Will? Um, Jada began losing herself more and more. But there were a few creative outlets that presented self-saving opportunities. One was The Matrix, uh, the movie. Jada was a huge fan of anime and was like, if they can bring to real life film what anime does in animation, um, it would just be mind blowing. 
She auditioned for Trinity. Will was supposed to be Neo. Later, Will chose the role of Ali over the role, the starring role in The Matrix. And Jada was cast in the sequel as Niobe. Um, Jada asked Keanu at the time about his band um, and expressed that she always wanted to start a rock band of her own. And he encouraged her to go for it. And she did. That's when Wicked Wisdom was formed. She needed a space outside of Hollywood where she could let the wildness within her run free. She formed Wicked Wisdom, a rock band. Her children traveled with her. They were four and six at the time. Um, They were performing in cornfields and in the Midwest and stadiums with Britney (laughs) Spears. Okay. They was just everywhere. No one really knew where to put them, you know, a black rock band. So later they would be picked up for Ozzy Fest by Sharon Osbourne. They faced a lot of racism there, um, but felt like they did their part to continue the tour um, in the best way possible and to not allow um, neo-Nazis to intimidate them. Um, so there we go. So eventually the band ended their tour, but for a time it was Jada's life-saving outlet. It was then that the differences between her and Will became more apparent. She asked him once and I'm paraphrasing. She was like, if we didn't have money, what would we have? Just you and I, we need to work on our love and our connection. That's what she told him. And he was like, we'll work that out later. <laughs> Yikes. Mm-hmm. Everything was, we'll talk about it later. Like the incident with the, um, the man that the, what the hired, oh, exterminator. The exterminator. It was, we'll talk about that later. I'm busy now. It looks, sounds like you handle it, but we'll talk about that later. And it never came and up And then they again. never talk about mm-hmm. it. So he showed love by providing and she was grateful, but she was looking for all of his attention. She wanted him to show love by showing that he valued her above everything else. And to a lot of people, this sound crazy. Like, how can you be the most important thing in his life? Because she's his wife. (laughs) So... She ain't saying don't do nothing, but love me all the time. But if the choice is to finish this scene or to rush to be by my side because a man just walked up into our house and I had to, you know, intimidate him to get him out of here. You should drop everything and rush to my side. That will make me feel loved. He's like in his line. It's like my, he sounds like you handle it. I'm still going to keep working because I got to get paid so I can continue to provide for the house. Oh, come on. But that's his mentality, because if you remember, he is he just sees himself as a provider the way his father provided. Yes. Yes, you're right. Um, Or at least that's what we are to gather from Will, his memoir. So, I mean, Um, wait, why is it that's what we are to gather? Why can't it be his facts? Don't start. We're not even finished with the book yet. Go. Yeah, because I understand where Jada is coming from. What's it all for if you're not going to drop everything to be with me? And you really get the vibe from Jada that she would be very happy um, living in a quiet suburb of Baltimore with Will for the rest of her life, tending the land. Yeah, and the farmhouse <laughs> she over bought. There, I don't mm-hmm. know. Well, she got that farmhouse. Nowhere near she ever say she sold it. So right, um, and so Will is very much intent at this time of his life to be the biggest movie star in the world. Now, my thinking is, you are the biggest movie star in the world at this time. You could drop; they could stop the set for you. Mm-hmm. True. So it's a choice. It is a choice, but that's uh-huh. not how he sees himself. So he wouldn't do that. 
That's what we to deduce. It was clear that their love was on the back burner behind his career. So now I'm just going to answer a few questions from the blogs and the dinner table conversations that we know y'all having at home. Number one, are they swingers or do they have an open marriage? Uh, Alexis, would you like to answer that? The answer is no. According to Jada, Jada says that she wasn't naive enough to expect an incredible amount of willpower from, ironically, Will, as he worked with some of the most desired women in the world. She knew that it was like um, what it was like to command the attention of a room and knew that it was intoxicating. Instead of demanding fidelity, she asked for transparency. After a few situations, which she does not go into detail about, Mm -hmm. they came to an agreement. She never wanted them to be in a position to lie to each other. Not a strategy for the faint of heart, she she says, but she was a young wife at at the time and would definitely change some things if she could go back, she admits. Are they in an open marriage? They don't look at it that way. Is our is was he free at the time to carry on <laughs> um, sexual relationships with other people? To me, it sounds like yes. Mm-hmm. It sounds like as long as he told her um, what he was doing with people outside of their marriage, then it would be accepted. Never at this time does she say that she out there in the streets. She just knows he's the most sought after man alive, and so she doesn't want to lose him. So she wants to make an arrangement whereby he can do what he wants, but still be very much a part of their marriage. Mm. Regarding boundaries, Jada believes there's no right or wrong, except in situations where abuse is evident. This is what she says. Okay. Our priorities and needs aren't better than our partners. They're just different. I found this extremely fascinating, this admission, because it is true that when it comes to um, our, some things are just our preference, our taste. And it doesn't mean that it's right just because we prefer it. But she talks about this not being the case when it comes to abuse. And there are different types of abuse. Yeah, what kind are you talking about specifically? For example, not using them, but just for example, a narcissist that is very charismatic can perhaps gaslight you into believing that um, in order to love them the best, you have to let them disrespect you a little bit. (laughs) Just just as an example. Um, And so if you allow a system of continuous disrespect to you and your marriage, um, that narcissist may take it as, wow, you really do love me because you let me do whatever I want. Mm. But isn't that abuse? (laughs) It might be abuse that you allow. You can allow abuse. I'm not saying you're a victim at all. Uh, Well, I'm not going to say I'm not saying that because I'm kind of saying it a little bit. Yeah, to clarify. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So when uh, dating Jada and during an argument, there is an example where Jada cussed Will out. And I thought he did something really beautiful here. He dumped her. He said, my parents were in an abusive relationship and it started with the swearing. So we're not going to be doing this swearing. And then it turns into a physical thing uh, where we're hitting each other. So what we're going to do is break up and you have a nice life and I love you. Bye. (laughs) And it made her think he has set the boundary. He set the boundary and Jada was like, wow. I mean, words are just words. And he was like, not to me, they not. And so she got it. And they only stayed broken up for a week. 
But I thought that was great. Like, wow. Now, Jada. He talked about that as well in his book. Do you remember? Oh, does he talk about this he too? Says, there are a lot of yeah. stories which they share. Um, and it's the same. They share them in the they same way. In the it same seems way. like it very much happened it this very way. Very much happened that way. The same way he said it. And in Jada's mind, she snapped in that moment out of vulnerability because that was her protecting herself. Um, don't let them see you sweat. She'd rather show anger than fear or hurt feelings. But Will wasn't going to stand for that. Um, unfortunately, though, there was no balance there at the time because their arguments became so sterilized that they weren't being honest. They would say things like well dear don't you think <laughs> that you know stuff like that so the balance and communication um clear communication seemed out of reach okay next question that your auntie got is he gay is she gay are they each other beards are these homosexuals <laughs> is question. alexis what is the answer she said no she said she likes men yep Turning 40, um, she began to sink more into depression. Um, Will planned this huge birthday party for her, which he explains very well in his memoir. Mm -hmm. Mary J. Blige was there. It was an event. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Jada is having suicidal thoughts. And Will is like, don't you see everything I do for you? Mm -hmm. <laughs> she didn't ask him to do any of this. OK. And in his book, he says he told her. You need to go be on your own and prove to me that you can be loved. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most wild thing I ever heard. Because what he's saying is, if you don't accept these grand gestures that I'm doing for myself, I mean, for you, then you don't deserve love. <laughs> That's wildly narcissistic. Jada is really on a cliff at this moment in her mind. She starts um, ayahuasca ceremonies um, in order to find some balance. She describes these ceremonies in detail. On the third day, she felt like she was possessed and she didn't want to put on her children what she felt like was on her. Mm -hmm. And then on the fourth day, she felt like she had felt the rain, which is something she brings up a lot of her suicidal thoughts really sitting with them. And now she could control them and overpower them and be better. She felt like a spiritual guru. She was not though. And she, she said that. thought she knew everything and she didn't. She eventually decided that after 20 years together, nothing was going to change for her and Will. Um, by his own admission, feelings were not important to him. Right. <laughs> I feel like he said something like that in the book. He did. Because it's not he about did. what you feel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can change feelings. Mm -hmm. So change your mm -hmm. feelings. Her 40th birthday was her breaking point, though. He wasn't going to love her in the way that she wanted to be loved. Um, they have flunked out of marriage therapy repeatedly, but never either of them never spoke to a divorce lawyer. In 2016, they chose to separate in every way except legally. They owed the public nothing, but they promised to be honest to each other about what each was doing. So they live in separate lives and just telling each other about it, which sounds torturous to me, but it's not my memoir. Is it? Alexis? Nope, it's not. So mind your business. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Entanglements. Mm -hmm. We're almost done here, friends. 
So Jada doesn't consider uh, relationships outside of her marriage to be affairs because her and Will tell each other about Mm -hmm. them. Um, She calls them entanglements. We know that. We know what she thinks about that. So after Will and Jada separated, Jada began trying to relive her youth. And she soon began a relationship with someone we'll call October. (laughs) Um, October was not her son's best friend, as people would say. He entered into her life very clear that he was battling emotional traumas and health issues and she wanted to help she says the romance was unexpected um when it ended he may have expected that she was going back to her marriage which wasn't the case and he chose to never communicate her with her ever again which she accepted Mm -hmm. and respected his choice she soon fell from her self-made perch as a spiritual guru (laughs) and she realized that the problem was in october and definitely not will It was her. She had gotten off track again. This time, though, she wasn't in her 20s. She was 46 years old and no sign of happily ever after was in her future. Then came the red table talks. I want to know who you are and who you were before you became my mother. uh, Willow told her and she thought that was so profound. She was like, yeah, let's do it. But you got to know about Gammy, too, about Adrian. So they all sat together and started dishing and talking to each other. And that soon became a television show years later. Mm-hmm. At the time of their first discussion, uh, Willow was young yeah. and they um, it was more of a low key thing. I watched um, that. One. But as Willow got older and grown, grown. I watched that one. That That's when I, okay. I remember when that came out. I thought it was pretty cool. I guess it was on YouTube, but I, I remember when it came out and I watched it. Mm-hmm. Jada too learned more about her mother at this table at the red table um, and the years later this discussion became a talk show and earned a great success this led to the formation of the financially success- successful Westbrook Entertainment Company that her and Will founded so during COVID Will and Jada uh, were in lockdown together with their family for the sake of their family and she eventually discussed the entanglement of red table talk she wanted to own her role in what had become a public news topic okay she wanted to take responsibility so her she her and will talks about it and he was like yeah because you know i'm out here doing my thing why not (laughs) go ahead and talk about it so she wanted to make it clear that one it happened while will and her were separated two it happened over two years ago and three will knew will decided to join He didn't want to go. He didn't want her to go alone. And I thought this was very interesting because she didn't ask him to join and it wasn't planned for him to join. But at the last minute, he was like, I'm going to be on there. And she took it to mean he didn't want her to. Supportive sense in a supportive sense. Yeah, supportive. Mm -hmm. He didn't want her to be alone. So the recording started late. Will had just returned from a trip. Everyone was tired. Will was exhausted. Will had spent the last four years free as a bird. But he began conveying that he'd been done wrong. <laughs> so the cameras are rolling. Vroom, 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 vroom. And he's like looking teary. And she like, first of all, Will's eyes tear up all the time. He got allergies. <laughs> he tired. But he looks like a victim at this table. And when she said it was an entanglement, he said it was a relationship. This is on the show now that the cameras yeah. are rolling. It's different stuff being said. Jada felt like she should have stopped the conversation there, but she sabotaged herself. She didn't want to oppose Will publicly. And at this time, I'm like, this is your show. Just stop. Ask him to mm-hmm. leave and start it over. But I digress. <sighs> 
I'm going to get you back, Will said. <laughs> Such an odd thing to say if y'all live in separate lives. And then she says she felt like she spoke up for herself when she said, you going to get me back? I think you got me back. We good on that. Then the outrage at Jada abusing poor Will. <laughs> this is real. I think it was... It was. <laughs> The, the face. People are angry, Alexis. <laughs> the face. They feel like Will is the the victim. Prize, and Jada don't appreciate it. Listen, you know, her mom came out and said something not too long ago, um, which kind of confirms that their relationship is um, he's out here doing she's she's like, you're it's all falling on you and I don't understand why as a mom she's going to protect her daughter and she said it shouldn't go that way because Will is out here doing his thing too. Listen, from Will, now Will said in his book, Jada to me was quiet for a long time. Um, Will is in the public eye of course more than her. He publishes a memoir Within it, he talks about method acting, helping him fall in real life love with co-stars. Um, he talks about wanting a harem. He <laughs> talks about he talks about himself because that's his favorite subject. Jada is telling us, I've done all I can to facilitate Will's infidelity, right? <laughs> right? Yes, yeah, she's from, from the beginning yeah. of our mm -hmm. marriage. Now, I'm not saying Jada's not being unfaithful to their marriage. And for real, none of this is my business. She, in fact, she <laughs> says she was celibate for a number of years. She tells us that. But it is my guess that whatever Jada has done entanglement wise, Will has done that 50 million times more. <laughs> However, the discussion is, Will, why don't you just leave her so you can be happy? That's deep. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, deep, these people are happy. These these people are happy. Mm, we don't know if they're happy. They, um. According to their books, <laughs> they are happy people. And that's all I have to go about because I don't know either one of them. Okay. So they're happy. Yeah. They're happy with their lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm not very much invested in even though we're reading memoirs this uh, as we close out the season. I, I mean, this is these people's lives. I kind of feel icky reading about all this, but I am very much interested <laughs> in the vitriolic hate against mm. Jada. I think it should be studied mm. because there is something there that it seems like the most active members of the online community are telling us about themselves. And I think it's akin to they hate women. All right. So. Yes. So what is it? No, is please. it the, it's the talk about she's keep holding Will back from being from his pure happiness? Is that what it yes. is? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Okay. He she out here doing everything. Oh, she's making him look Will bad. Over there crying. Yes. 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 But that has to do with the. Um, I think that has to do with the patriarchal society um, in which we live, because a woman is not supposed to be out there talking about her husband like that, and she's doing that, mm. and so that's why the blame is being placed on her. Actually, I agree with that. I hate when stuff that's about the family, like when we read Spare, I was like, "Oh, this the family, mm -hmm. though. How are you talking publicly about the family?" Um, however, Jada's goal in this Red Table Talk discussion was to take ownership for a conversation that had already become public um, and she just wanted to own it. Yeah. But then Will was like, I'm going to be yeah. on it. And then he was like, this is my new role, <laughs> victimized husband. 
and people ate it up. Ate it up. People love him. Ate it up. Yeah, I'm, I'm hey, a fan. I love the Fresh Prince. I'm a fan yeah. of his acting career. Did I say yeah. I wasn't? No. I think I am. I know I he like got an stuff. Oscar for um, King Richard, but I think this Red Table Talk discussion <laughs> should have been um, considered, submitted for consideration. So, yeah, anyway, the backlash came in quick. real life. Um, I, I said, I, let me just correct this real quick. I said, I'm, I'm not a fan, but I really loved his role in the uh, tennis movie. The one, what was it called? That just came out. With about King, King Richard. Richard. Okay, so the tennis movie. <laughs> I really love that movie and I think I became a fan. Go. Oh, well, if you love him in sports movies, you should watch uh, Beggar Vance. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> I cock myself up. You so, do. <laughs> I got a video for that. I don't even know if that's that character name, but talk about Magical Negro. <laughs> um, so... Uh, Jada then felt the backlash of it seemed like the world who was on Will's side and was like, how dare you? Uh, she sought the guidance of spiritual gurus again, um, but she did eventually learn to forgive herself and that helped her to forgive others. Um, she bought a humble home, shaved her head. Um, she has a puppy now that adores her named Bandit. And she was at the time facing her 50th birthday, but she finally found her way home. Now the slap. Ooh, yeah. and that'll take us out. So <laughs> like like it often does, mm-hmm. a hard slap will take you out. So the slap, this is how she describes it. She's shot, confused. She don't know if it was fake. I'm with you because I didn't see the connection. Um, also, just the idea of slapping people at work <laughs> in front of their coworkers. I just didn't think it had happened. Mm. Um, and I know we're all like sick of hearing about it. OK, but I we got to know. know what Jada felt in that moment. <laughs> all right. She thought, is this a skit? And then he says, keep my wife's name. Y'all know. Um, and then she's like, oh, that don't sound like something that would be in a skit. She said that that wasn't. <laughs> this is going through right, her mind. Right. This might be real. And you know what? I am his wife. Wait a second. What is going on? Um, She thinks in that moment, whatever's going on with Will, we're in this together. She wasn't even planning to come that night because um, she had kind of stopped participating in pre-production for King Richard. But Will was like, no, this is our moment. So, um, you know, even after a six year separation, let's let's be there together as a family. Um, A little bit about Chris Rock. Uh, Jada's stomach clenched when she saw that Chris Rock was listed as one of the presenters that night. He'd taken shots at her in the past, even on the Oscar stage with hashtag Oscar so white. He was like, how you going to boycott something that you wasn't invited to? He later apologized for his comments that night. Not Jada publicly says, though, right? Um, um, and she thought they were cool, mm-hmm. her and Chris. They worked together on Madagascar, which I love. Mm-hmm. I forgot they were both yep. on that movie. Um, Chris asked her out once when rumors were circulating that her and Will were divorced. Once he found out those were just rumors, he apologized profusely. Um, when he took to the stage, though, she knew things were heading left. Him and Will had beef before Will even met Jada and it festered. You know, lines got crossed. She rolled her eyes at Chris's alopecia comments. Um, and after the joke, a joke that caught other sufferers in the crossfire, 
Jada just felt ah, and she just rolled her eyes. Hey, Alexis, do you know folks hate it when black women roll their eyes? No, I didn't know how much that angers people. I can think of a former first lady who rolled her eyes and it was national news for way too long. I remember that. Like, (laughs) yeah, people hate when we do that. Don't be showing your emotions. Stop it. So we can do it. Uh, That hurts people. So Jada made the terrible mistake of rolling her eyes. The power of eyes being rolled. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah, Jada made the terrible mistake of rolling her eyes and that power from her irises (laughs) called her, caused her husband, her, uh, what you call it when they separated? Her estranged husband Mm. to go up on the stage and slap Chris Rock. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fallout. She um, instigated the altercation with her eye roll. It was her fault. She should have stopped him. She drove that man to madness with one look. Blame the woman. <laughs> this is the. This is a lot. Yeah, of that's it. What we see. Mm-hmm. So, she says, "If I had that amount of control over Will, my life would have been a lot different over the last three decades." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let me just say that. Yeah. So. Um, while something was being presented on the screen, um, Jada says that Chris kneeled over and said, Jada, I honestly meant no harm. But she was in shock and responding. Um, she said, this is over some old stuff, Chris. <laughs> OK, her focus was on Will. Denzel Washington and Bradley Cooper rushed to Will's side to ground him. Um, and let the men handle it, Jada thought, because mm-hmm. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> I don't even know what's going on. Let the men handle it. Chris decided not to press charges. And Jada didn't even think about that being a possibility. Um, she didn't even think Will made contact with the slap. Turns out he did. So Lupita was the first one to speak directly to Jada. And Lupita leaned over. We all remember her. <laughs> she leaned over and said, are you OK, Jada? I'm so sorry. Uh, Ramsey Naida rushed to Jada and said, are you okay? She later says she never saw Jada this alone and isolated since her 40th birthday. Mm. The difference was this time she could keep her head up. Tiffany Haddish came over, Queen Latifah, and Jada felt grounded. Uh, Jada's concern, though, as we said, was Will. She was going to stand by his side no matter what. Hurt people, hurt people, and we are all Mm. hurting. She knew how it felt when people turned their back on you. He didn't. He really had never faced that. She was going to be his ride or die, standing by his side, supporting him. He was human. And before the slap, she wasn't much different from the critics who only wanted the best from Will and didn't accept his dark side, she says. So now she was ready to walk hand in hand with him, come what may. So that slap, in a way, helped her see her relationship with Will in a different way. She was going to be his support system no matter what. Chris had hurt her in the past and it was like poking an old hurt when it came back around, she says. But Jada let go of the resentment. She's seen another side of Chris beyond his hurtful jokes and she can't unring that bell. She knows that he can be funny and kind. And this person that calls her all out of her name in public, you know, that's unfortunate. But he is my brother, she says. The slap taught her how to love Will better and it taught her how to um, just not let people basically like get to you. Mm. It sounds like. Um, so whoever has opinions about her or her relationship with Will, she says they deserve love too. And that might be you listener. <laughs> and uh, that's it. Should we take a yeah, break? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. 
we're diving into Worthy by Jada Pinkett Smith. Woo! That was a lot. Why don't that was a long yeah, one. that was a long one. Why don't we switch over um, to the theme of the week um, before we jump into the verdict? Okay. Um, as you know, readers, each week we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book that we're reading. And for this week's theme, Kaya and I are going to continue our discussion and respond to some of the prompts that are at the end of the chapters in Worthy. Kaya mentioned one of them, but throughout each chapter, she has um, a prompt at the end, something for you to write mm-hmm. down, something for you to think about, something for you to consider. Um, and so we're just going to do that. Um, go and pick a few of them and kind of talk about them. Um, the first one I'd like to consider is from chapter one, my grandmother's garden. And during this chapter, Jada spoke about some of her childhood memories um, with her grandmother. And the prompt for this chapter was to write down three beautiful memories from your childhood or past that help to nourish the beautiful you that you are. So, Kari, um, you don't have to share all of them. You can pick one or two and share. What would you like to share? (laughs) I couldn't get over the beautiful me I am today. So I didn't really have anything. I was like, "Mm, that don't really sound like me. I don't know. So you mean to tell me you don't have any memories that contribute to who you are today. Is that what you're saying? I found this really okay. hard. I understand uh, I, I, there are belief systems that I've kept with me my entire life and things that people have said and lessons I've learned, but just memories that those memories shape who I am today. No doubt that's true. I just thought about this for a long time and I found it hard to really nail down a certain one. I will say that um, I've spent a lot of time at other people's homes, your mother's mm-hmm. home, um, my spiritual grandparents, um, play aunties and uncles, and just being accepted into people's homes like that has made me um, focus on being a hospitable person mm. um, and really opening my uh, yeah home to others. But I couldn't think of a single memory that has really shaped who I am. What about you? Okay, so I, um, I feel like I had some issues with this too, but still I tried to come up with something. Um, I, so I have a passion for cooking. I love to cook. I prefer to bake, but I'll cook in the kitchen too, because I like what it involves putting things together. And so what I thought back to was my first memory of cooking with my aunt in her apartment. And I thought about how beautiful I felt like her apartment was. And I was like, oh, this is the life. I was a little girl and I was like, this is the life that I want. An apartment (laughs) and I want to be able to cook and bake. And and so she was helping me to, she was teaching me to um, bake. And I thought, Um, that was an experience in which I learned patience and I feel like I'm a Mm -hmm. patient person for the most part. It shows in some Mm -hmm. ways than others. And then that baking with her was an impressionable experience on me and it allowed me to um, bake for others. She showed me how to bake. So I in turn bake for others. I don't like people to bake with me, (laughs) even though that's what I learned baking with someone. I learned to bake for others and to cook for others. And those are things that I enjoy. So I think that contributes to the person and those and baking nourishes me. It um, not only physically, mm-hmm. but mentally, it gives me peace to be in the kitchen working on 
a baking or um, a cooking project. So that's that's mm-hmm. what I came up with. I love that. Um, so let's jump to leaving the garden. Chapter three. In this chapter, Jada mentions being bullied. She mentions her new stepfather who she loved and came to um um, appreciate very much. And then she talks about the performance experience that she had where she left people wanting more, um, where she forgot the words and then she was singing together with everybody. And then she talked, yeah, for the wizard. Yeah, and then she talked about mm-hmm. the death of her grandmother. Um, the prompt was Can I recognize patterns in my life relationships that stem from inherited trauma cycles? And she says to write down which cycles are most important for me to break. And how does this awareness make me feel knowing I don't have to carry that burden anymore? And so I asked that question of you, Kari. Yeah, I I don't um, have a big problem with this, but I've noticed sometimes I disregard friends or relationships. And maybe that comes from a fear that they'll disregard me Mm. first. You know, so uh, what I want to do and what my goal is, is to look at the forest of my friends, not the trees. Mm. Um, Otherwise, one tree may seem more beautiful than another. But instead, I want to accept that there's variety and admire and respect the forest, which isn't ultimately there for my enjoyment. Right. It has a greater purpose. Mm -hmm. So just respect that and um, appreciate people as individuals that contribute to the whole. Oh, I like that. I like that. Individuals that contribute to the whole. And we do have to think about our friends in that way. I think that's that's important. So I I thought this question was interesting, but it was something that I needed a lot more time to reflect on. So I couldn't really um, come up with an answer. Uh, offhand about inherited trauma mm-hmm. cycles because I, I know they and exist. you don't want to give an answer just to give right, an answer right. and I didn't want really to do that so mm-hmm. this is a I do have a note to kind of follow up on some of the questions in the book that I really wanted to uh, contemplate so the next one was chapter five advanced degree here is where she discusses her friendship with Tupac Shakur and some of her um, girlfriends. Um, it said that who are the people in your life you consider friends? Write their names down and why you consider their friendship important and nourishing. Have you told them how special they are to you? How grateful you are to have them in your life? Take the time to do it. So that's my question to you. Um, who are the people in your life that you consider friends? I'm not asking for names. You can say it without names. You can talk about their qualities um, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, I just, I'm really appreciative for the really good friends that I have in my life, yourself included. Um, and I think our friendship and the friendship I have with your family has lasted so mm-hmm. long um, that it, it's a, just a safe place to be in. Um, because there's so many versions of each other that we've already mm-hmm. seen. Um, and we have context because we know each other's yeah. families. Um, and then I think of the friends that I've made, some who are older than mm-hmm. me. And um, there's also uh, uh, like a safety in that friendship and an, an acceptance because older people are, um, they have a lot of lessons yeah. to give um, as a wise old per- older person does. And then um, they're also not, Trying to compete with you, <laughs> you know. Like go now, that, that's go a safe on. friendship to have. Go now, <laughs> and then 
<laughs> and then the younger friendships that I have, um, the younger friends that I have have taught me a lot. A lot of them are very focused on what matters in life. Um, and I really value them just letting me into their world, into their lives. Um, and then my mother, who I love very much, who is just so patient and an example of the type of person I want to be. Of course, my greatest friendship is um, the one I have with my husband. He's very patient and kind with me. And then um, I felt I feel, too, that his friendship uh, gives me a lot of validation as I walk through life. I don't need a lot of things mm. because I, I just get it from him. Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And that's how we feel with our our families, especially. Yeah. Um so yeah, what I about think you? We should feel that way with our families. It's hard. Yeah, we should uh, when you don't, because mm -hmm. some people don't. So I have a large immediate family of brothers and sisters, as you know, and I love that. So and I feel like I'm an introvert still because new people are hard for me, but people that mm. I've um that have come into my circle and they become my family, and that's it. Sister, um, women become sisters and men become brothers immediately. That's like, uh, cause I'm not always, I'm not looking for a relationship. So brothers, a, a romantic, romantic relationship. relationship, men automatically brothers there just, and I love that. So I have a really close male friend who is always rooting for me. He, he's rooting for me to have a relationship with somebody, but he's always <laughs> rooting for me. He's got my back and we can sit and talk for hours. Um, I have friends that have uh, who provide a listening ear and have supported me through panic attacks, depression, mm -hmm. loss, um, friends that I travel the world with and I do value them. And I and as I think about it. I don't think that I've said it to them before. So uh, I could say it to you. There are things that you've done in your life that have really inspired and encouraged me and um, have <laughs> made me want to work harder. Not as hard as you oh. do, but <laughs> but a little bit harder than I already do. So, oh, thank so you. Friend. I love you, my friend, Kari. I do. Um, so I'm, I can I chit that? I told you so there, but there are other friends. Yeah, check that there box. Other friends. Now get to the other people. There are other friends in my life that I could stand to share that same thing with because um, I do, the people that are in my life and that are really close and there with me um, year after year. I don't have to look for. They find me. Um, uh, I need to have those conversations or write a letter to them and tell them how grateful they are because they have truly impacted my life. So. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. It's beautiful. Okay. And then let's jump to chapter seven, promise of a perfect world. And in this chapter, Jada discusses her initial years trying to break into Hollywood. And she talks about leaving behind the old codes. Um, I thought about that as behaviors, thinking, attitudes um, that keep you stuck. And the quote at the end of the book was from um, Fat Joe, when keeping it real goes bad. And uh, the comment was, own your choices, have the desire to better your life and take that step with just one aspect of your life and see what changes and then keep going. Can you identify a few codes in your life that have been hard to let go of? Um, can you see how holding on to old codes may be keeping you stuck? says, try a new code for size, one that allows you to continue to be real without cost. 
Um, and so I added a little, um, a couple of questions. Have you been able to make changes in your life to move to the next level? How have you been able to make changes in your life to move to the next level? Or are there changes you need to make that are keeping you from um, going to the next level? So it, however you can fill that out, if you want to answer that. Yeah, no doubt there are um, roadblocks that I've set up in my mind that are stopping me from progressing in life, but I'm not um, advanced enough yet to know what they are or I would probably be working mm -hmm. on them. So I couldn't think of anything. <laughs> what about you? So this like is, this. I felt like this was a little easier for me because it's, it's, it happens so often and it's my problem with consistency. I had, I, I feel like in a lot of ways I start many things and I finish a handful and I would like to follow the complete the circuit, you know, start and finish the thing. And I want to identify the source of that pattern um, that's holding me back from achieving um, some of my goals, because that it is it's it's a constant. If anything, my inconsistency is consistent. So there, mm -hmm. there you have it. That is the thing that um that to me is an old code, but I need to find out the source of it so that I can begin to repair that problem. Uh, let's go to chapter 10, trying to find my footing. Here Jada mentions the farm she purchased on the outskirts of Baltimore and her career is keeping her busy. She's acting, she's directing. Uh, Tupac's, Tupac gets shot. Um, he's also on trial for rape and she begins dating Will Smith here. She says, do something today to change it up, drive an unexplored route home, extend myself to make a new friend, learn something that inspires you to get out of your comfort zone, have fun finding your footing along the way, identify something new that you can take on or learn that will take you out of your comfort zone. Kari, were you able to identify anything? I don't know about taking me out of my comfort zone, but there are some things I should have learned by now. <laughs> uh, for example, I can learn to properly speak Spanish. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> I don't have to keep speaking like this. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm going to make an effort to be better. Mm, OK. All right. That's similar to mine. <laughs> I like to learn Portuguese, um, Spanish, and maybe a little Hindi. Um, there's a school nearby that offers some support. I, I think I missed the star session, but I can definitely um, work hard to um, learn Spanish. And if I do a little bit of every day, I mean, I work with Duolingo, but I need a little more. And it's amazing how much that has helped me um, mm. being here because I'm able to recognize words and phrases when people speak. And I can um, hear that in the congregation conversation. Just a reminder, Alexis <laughs> is in Portugal. She lives there now <laughs> learning Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to judge her and her choices. <laughs> And for real, a lot of Portuguese people speak Spanish. So fine. So it's um, that's what I would like to do. And when I win that, I'm going to feel so good about it. So there you go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, one more chapter. <laughs> this is it. Chapter 13, The Reluctant Bride. In this chapter, she talks about the progression of her relationship with Will. And she's pregnant. She says, is there any circumstance in your life that you don't feel ready for? Can you let go of your need for things to be perfect before you leap? 
what different attitude could you adopt? Write it down, record yourself talking about it. Take the dive. It's rarely what you expect. It could be better. How would you respond to that, Kari? Yeah, there's definitely um, goals that I have and I want everything to be perfect before I achieve them. And that's just not going to happen. I'm not ready in my life to talk about this yet (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because they might be perfect. So I would like to first see a little longer if things are going to be perfect. If that makes sense. What about you, Alexis? (laughs) Okay, so I kind of feel similar. I feel like overall, I feel like I'm a pretty adaptable person and I typically leap when I want to leap. But there may be a list of some unfinished things that I'd like to um, act a standard attitude adjustment on before so that I can, um, you know, fully fill out my unfinished list, if you will. So um, thank you for sharing your comments, Kari. That was that was it. That was it for our theme of the week. Uh, readers, take time. If you're going to read this book, um, make sure to take notes on the the uh, the prompts at the end, lessons end of the, the chapter and yeah. the lessons. So, yeah, there we go. Shall we take a quick break or should we jump right into the final verdict? Let's jump okay, right in. Let's go. So, Alexis, what's your final verdict of Worthy after reading the book? Is this a book you'd recommend? Is it one you enjoyed reading? What What are your thoughts? Okay, so um, I would say I would recommend it to people who want to know about her life. If, if, if you don't care about all of that, if you're one of those people that are really saying... I'm tired of them on my timeline and I don't want to hear another news report about them. Don't read that book. Is that for you? Uh, just, you know, like Kari said, step outside, go somewhere else, do something. But if you all up in, for me, baby. if you all in, mm-hmm. you can read this book. Um, I having read Will's book, I will say I appreciated reading her book in comparison. I liked um, there were very many corresponding segments in it when it came to their life. Um, Not that I, I feel like she lies about her her story because her story is her story. And then I can say about that. Um, There are philosophies that she has that I don't agree with and I don't have to, but this is, um, this is her book and her thoughts and it's uh, revealing. She's revealed quite a bit, I think. And but I do feel I can tell that she has also protective of her relationship with Will. As much as she's out in the circuit doing these interviews about how they're separate, they're separated and blah, blah, blah. She is still very that is her man and she is protecting him. And all the stories, how she tells stories about him. She's not out here making trying to make him look bad I haven't seen many of the interviews on TV, but if they, I think people feel like they're saying she's making him look bad just because she's speaking. But if you're looking at this book, I don't think she's doing that at all. She's telling her story and that's it. So uh, again, if you like this kind of stuff, read on. I, I got it because we read, <laughs> we read well. So that was it. How about you, Kari? What is your final verdict? And would you recommend this book? I thought this was a very honest and open text. And I love that Jada talks a lot about um, everything the blogs want to hear. And she says things that she herself just needs to say. Um, I will say that to 
it is my opinion that our relationship with God is reflected in our relationship with others and believing that God has no standard of right or wrong um, and that any nearly any way of worship is acceptable to him as long as it's preferred by someone it's acceptable to him how can she feel worthy of setting standards of how those in her life treat her how can she have standards of what's acceptable to her if in her opinion the almighty doesn't um this to me maybe why she has allowed a system of infidelity in her marriage not believing she was worthy of exclusivity from someone highly desired by beautiful women. To me, just because your husband is highly desired, y'all married. <laughs> Facts. And that's that on that. If you choose to get married, you know, everybody ain't got to get married. It ain't for everybody. But if y'all going to be married, then he, he got to be married or he can't be married to you. But that's not how Jada sees it. And this is her, her story. story. Um, so Jada is very much a woman who is always trying to learn from others um, and from teaching and she's searching. She is a woman who is searching. Um, she's very much into spiritism. Mm -hmm. She describes her rituals, retreats, and the teachings that she's picked up along the way. And her beliefs don't align with mine, which is what I expect when reading a memoir. Um, but I'm not interested in the spiritual journeys as they're just explained here. That said though, um, so for that reason, um, I can't say I would recommend this book, but a part of me is just so happy that she was able to speak her piece in a way that this is truly her story. And anyone saying that she's using this book to embarrass someone else or um, for the purpose of some uh, secret, I don't know, agenda. I don't think they yeah, read no, it. They haven't. This is just her the life people story. We're talking about it like that. I have not read this book because she is not at all doing what they're saying she's doing. It's just not. And I did feel shocked a little when I uh, heard that they have been separated for uh, six years, even though someone said she said this before. I don't remember her saying this before. But looking back, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> they act like people who don't live with each other, <laughs> who aren't in each other's lives. And then lives. I think about what he um, said. Um, go get your life. Figure out who. Yeah, go prove to me that you can be loved. That's a wild statement and I cannot get over it. <laughs> uh, so I have, when I finished Will, not to compare the two memoirs, um, but I'll just say this point. Reading Will exhausted me. I felt like this was a man that is truly in love with the mythology of himself. And he wants you to know his origin story and how he became the great <laughs> hero he is. He finishes the book. Risking his life in a daredevil move in front of his family, like bungee jumping or something, because he wants to feel alive. <laughs> that man, too, is searching. Uh -huh, and we're all searching uh -huh. in the, for something in some yeah. way, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I just didn't feel that with Jada's book. I felt like this was just her talking about her life. And I could get with that a little more. And it was like a, a very, like I said, honest book. She is just telling you about her mm -hmm. life and she's doing it in a way. There are some um, themes that she picked up and put down. And I felt, well, this doesn't really contribute to the whole story. And part of me, sometimes you read a memoir and it's clear from the beginning to the end, there is a story they're trying to tell. And usually they have another author or writer writing with them to help put that all together. I don't know if she Jada works with anyone. She did. Um, she identified she did. that okay, at the that end is of the common. book. Mm-hmm. I did feel like some things were picked up and put down some, uh, I'll say, plot points. 
Um, but I kind of like that because it, it fit where it fit. And that's how life is. Like sometimes things don't last with you right. forever. But this moment, you remember it and it is part of your mm-hmm. life story. So overall, I felt it was a really well done memoir. And I'll go as far as to say this is one of the most enjoyable wow. memoirs I've ever read. So um, even though I don't agree with her beliefs, um, some of her things like the questions that we went over where she encourages the reader to just think about people that matter to them after she's talked about the people that matter to her. Yeah. Brilliant. I thought that was so mm-hmm. well done. For sure. Um, yeah. It felt like an interactive yeah. thing in that way. And I really enjoyed yeah, that. That was so, good. Uh, I hope that makes sense. That's my verdict. This is one of the best memoirs I've ever wow. read. But because of a, a lot of the things she gets into, I probably wouldn't recommend it. And like you said, this is like her business. So if you're not really into reading about other people's business, if you like to mind your business, then perhaps this is not the book for you. (laughs) Yes. Kari, what are we reading next week? (laughs) (laughs) The Woman and Me by Britney Spears. Oh, one more memoir. Okay. Well, thank you for listening. Of of the, and we're going to read another one soon after that. Don't say it like that. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We really are a memoir season, y'all. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Let Society. We look forward to meeting up with you next week, Thursday. Let Society is brought to you by Alexis Honoré and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You can also leave a comment on both Apple and Spotify about why you absolutely love us because we love you too. If you've enjoyed what you just heard, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit LitSocietyPod.com for show notes this month's book list and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. And until next time, readers, read something. Read something.